We thank you for joining us for a new episode of True Wisdom, uh, where Andrew and I dig deep into God's Word, the Bible. Welcome, Andrew. Welcome, Robert. And welcome, all you who are listening. Um, Before we get into our devotion for the day, and even before we pray, Andrew, what is so special about having true wisdom? What's so special about it? True wisdom is rare. I think there are a lot of sources of wisdom that are not that are um, not correct, not accurate. In fact, let me see if I can find um, this statement. Paul, the in Ecclesiastes, let's see. Solomon says something that's pretty interesting. Um, if I can find it quickly. I think it's in chapter 11. But he talks about he talks about doing a lot of stuff that are wearying. Yeah, there we go. It's, it's in 12. He says in Ecclesiastes 12, 11 and 12, he says, the words of the wise are gold and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. And further by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. (laughs) So there are a lot of sources of supposed wisdom, but you see what what comes from them, of making many books, there's no end. Someone is always publishing something, and much study, is a weariness of the flesh. True wisdom doesn't create those problems. True wisdom comes from God. And we need to seek true wisdom so that we can navigate life properly. For real. Our our verse is uh, Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. That's our theme passage. It says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. Excellent, excellent. So, let's see. Let me pray, and then we'll jump into the devotion. Dear Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you by studying your word. We pray for um, new insight for ourselves, and we pray that those who listen will receive a blessing Uh, from our discussion, and that their ears and hearts will be open to hear more from you. Amen. 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 All right. What book and what topic are we dealing with today? Okay. We have a topic. We're going to be dealing with two verses. Our title is Respect for Authority. Respect for Authority. And um, we're going to be in two passages. Romans chapter 13, we'll be doing some verses in there, and 1 Peter chapter 2, we'll be doing some verses there. One of the the principles that we will be paying attention to today is, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established, right? So, when you find something in the Word of God and you think it's pertinent to everyday living, you know, set forth as doctrine, Make sure that you see it in more than one place, because there are many things that you can learn and conclude and 
um, and and get some sort of counsel from, but they may not constitute doctrine because you only see one instance here or there. But we have two. Okay, uh, let's start with Romans thirteen, and basically you just need. 1 through 7, verses 1 through 7. All right, Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, but there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers... Okay. Okay. So he's setting a tone here, um, and he's talking about higher powers, meaning powers of government, powers of authority. And he, and he, says, um, he says, look, no power, all power comes from God. All power is ultimately derived from God. So you want to be careful how you go against power because God has delegated it. Okay? Uh, but, but, the rule, the, the prevailing rule that we should always remember is that no matter who, from an earthly perspective, is in authority over us, they can never countermand God's direct authority. So when God has said, this is what you need to do or this is what you need to avoid, no man, whether in a delegated position of authority or not, can say, oh, you don't have to worry about that. Okay? That's important. But this principle that that the Apostle Paul is going on with here, and Peter will also uh, comment on similarly, is a very interesting one because many times we are prepared to oppose people because, well, you know, I'm a servant of God. These people don't, they don't have any jurisdiction over me, X, Y, Z. And that's not what the Bible actually says. Mm. Mm. Okay. Verse 3, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Now, now it's important to note that he is not speaking of an evil ruler here. Right? Does that mean that we can ignore an evil ruler? Well, we still have the we still have the same we still have the same um, guidance. As long as they're not saying something against the word of God. Well, it distinctly says to do good and to only worry if, to only be afraid if you do evil. So if they do ask you to do something right. evil, then you don't have to do it to avoid the fear, to avoid the revenger of, uh, excuse me, the executor of wrath. That's what verse 4 says. So just do good. Right. As long as the person in now, we charge have, we have, is not telling you to do evil, yes, you're okay. Right. So we have exist. We have examples of this. 
we have King Nebuchadnezzar, who for most of his career is not a good guy. And yet Daniel and the and the three Hebrew young men are okay with following his lead on things so long as he doesn't ask them to do anything to violate the law of God. They only oppose him or stand up to him when he does that. They don't stand up to him simply because his life is out of harmony with right. God. Right. Okay, verse okay. 5. Wherefore ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. And I'm guessing by tribute, I shouldn't say guessing, but that also means taxes. That also means the basically Jesus' statement, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. We all know Caesar wasn't a Christian at the time, and yet the Lord still says, give him what belongs to him. So we're not we're not encouraged to withhold back just because the person himself isn't God fearing. Agreed. That is a difficult one because we put so much value in money. We often vote by money, um, and that leads us to even situations where uh, a church leader. I remember reading a story many years ago where a lady sued her own church because. They decided to, the church made a decision that she didn't like, and she thought mm-hmm. she can sue them for her tithe and offering back because that's how she voted. <laughs> She's voting with her dollars, basically. Y'all aren't going to do what I say. Mm-hmm. I'm taking my money back. But distinctly here, it says not to do that, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. That is a difficult thing to deal with. Absolutely. And if you can't do it in a worldly context, you absolutely can't do it in a church context. Oh, yeah. So verse 7 finishes that thought. Render therefore mm-hmm. to all their dues. Tribute to whom tribute is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's, um, that's a mouthful. Yes, it is. Okay. And you don't only do it when you like the ruler or like the government. That is rough. Okay. Again, in the Bible, we see all of the people interacting with the government in a respectful way. The closest we come to a few people not um, being blunt, they weren't disrespectful, but a few people being blunt, we see major prophets. Both Elijah and Elisha had some clashes with folks that were, that were directly in opposition to God. And of course, the prophet's job is the messenger, the spokesperson of God. So God sent them on very specific missions where the evilness of the king is, in fact, clashing with the, the prophet's primary role. But even Elijah in the... Uh, the battle between Baal and the true God, even in that context, he deferred to the king such that he made sure that the king got out of the place safely when rain came and things of that nature. So even while challenging him in the area of spirituality and and um, 
you know, right and wrong morality, he did not simply um, berate or otherwise speak poorly of him. Mm. Good point. Right. So we don't we don't have a um, a blank check to treat worldly governments incorrectly or any person, but certainly not worldly governments incorrectly, simply because those governments believe or even execute things that are against what we agree with. As long as they are not asking you to do something against what you understand God is asking you, then you have no basis for opposing them, A. And B, even when you oppose them, it can be done respectfully as we have nearly a dozen examples in the Bible that I can think of fairly quickly. The response of Daniel, the, the response of the, the Hebrew young men, the, the response of, um, and Daniel had multiple responses to Nebuchadnezzar, to Belshazzar, to Darius. Right. Right. Daniel himself had a a set of responses. You see Ezra speaking to um, Ahasuerus. You see um, Nehemiah speaking to Ahasuerus. You see the apostles speaking to the Sanhedrin. You see Jesus speaking to the Sanhedrin. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we still have a duty to, uh, the Lord is telling us we still have a duty to conduct ourselves in a Christian-like manner. Mm-hmm. Right? And we, and we need to stay in line with our government until and only in the, the realm where they are opposed to God. Mm. Right? Okay. Because if they, listen, if they ask you to do something that's wrong, and you say, oh, no, I can't do that, it doesn't become, well, I'm never listening to you again, right? It just becomes, I can't do that one thing that you said. Mm. And if they back away from that one thing that you said, then you've got no gripe. Okay. Yeah, that seems... So let's go to Peter's, let's look at Peter's perspective on this. First Peter 2. Mm-hmm. Starting at verse 13. All right, First Peter 2, verse 13. Yeah, and we're going to go down to, uh, let's say, well, let's go to 21. Yeah, we'll go to 20. From 13 to 20, First Peter 2. Submit yourselves mm-hmm. to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Mm-hmm. As f- right? You see what it, you see what it tells right. us here? That your conduct will reflect highly upon God because you will be a law-abiding person. It's, it's, it's crazy to, to tell people about um, God's law and God's kingdom, but be a renegade in their kingdom. 
Mm, I see. So, um, what about the case of uh, Haman and Mordecai, where <laughs> Mordecai did not submit to the will of Haman? Was what Haman was asking was so bad? Worship. What Haman wanted was worship. And Mordecai was willing to do everything but worship. That's why he invokes, that's why Haman, um, Mordecai, says that he's a Jew. Can't do that. Can't worship any god but but, uh, the true god. It's the same issue that gets Daniel into trouble uh, with with Darius and the rule because you couldn't pray to anyone except the king for 30 days. Daniel's like, no, I can counsel with the king. He and I can chat about many things. We can talk. I have a good relationship with the king. I respect the king, but I can't worship the king. I can't pray to him. Mm. Okay. Okay, fair enough. And we're up to verse 15. No, 16 of 2 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2, 16. As free Mm -hmm. and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servant of God. So this is with caveats. Honor all men, Mm -hmm. love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be now we're going to get into we're now 18 and 19. We're going to get into some touchy touch uh-huh. here. You thought it was bad uh-huh. before. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. Now, since mm-hmm. it all says to the good and gentle, and they use the term but, then we have to assume that what's behind that is ne- negative of the good and gentle. Mm-hmm. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscious towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. Shall I read twenty, or let's just discuss nineteen? Oh, we can we can discuss um, twenty and twenty-one. Help. I mean, it doesn't matter in which order we decide to do it. They help to clarify that point. Um, but yeah, the the idea here is, you know, we talk about the fact that the apostles didn't necessarily oppose Rome in any specific way. They, they focused on um, evangelism and so forth. But here they're giving counsel that actually says, opposite of what many people would expect, which is, no, you need to respect them. If the situation you're in is not that comfortable, God will take care of that. Right? God will take care of that. Now, that doesn't necessarily um, that doesn't necessarily mean that people couldn't escape for their lives. They didn't say that. Um, they didn't say that. But if you were a runaway slave, death was your portion. So escaping for your life didn't really didn't really work unless you managed to leave Rome in some way. Um, so it was a tricky it was a tricky proposition. So then we have a um, an issue. As we all know, the history okay. of America was fraught with uh, slavery. 
And mm-hmm. we do know that this particular verse was used to quash. Okay, it was used in two ways. First, it was used to introduce Christianity mm-hmm. to the slave. And it was also used to mm-hmm. quash any rebellion against brutal slavery. Yeah. Can't mince words. True. This is brutal slavery. So this particular mm-hmm. set of verses, even above what Paul wrote, was used right. to subjugate and to prove to slaves that this was their lot in life. Correct. So how can we explain that to someone? How can we preach Christianity to them? And we're not even talking about Old Testament. This mm-hmm. is New Testament Christianity. This is the love, yes, this joy. Is very much New Testament. Right. How can okay. we... Uh, let's see, rectify isn't the right word. How can we reconcile, reconcile thank you, you the two ideas of let's save people, but at the same time subjugate mm-hmm. I'm not even talking about bad bosses. I'm not talking about bad working conditions, even though that will apply okay. as well. But we're talking about straight-up horrific slavery. So here's the interesting thing. This One of the... One of the things that we strive to do on this channel and also in Rightly Divide the Word of Truth is to always look at the Bible contextually. And I don't mean that in the way that many people do, which is you could ignore a bunch of pieces because you're not in Israel or you're not a Jew or that's not what I mean. What I mean is you have to look at the Bible holistically and you have to understand Who is the message going to? What is the context under which the message is being delivered to the original people? And then how do you apply that context to you today? Now, here's the key difference between how that was used in this country, and I should say is used, because trust me, the sentiment isn't entirely gone, how that is used in this country and has been justified over the years and how it was intended. Who is Peter writing that to? He is writing this to the Jewish people living in Rome. I should say well, living under, excuse me, I said that wrong, living under Roman rule. Right, but he, the epistles of Peter are to the Christians. What did I say, Jewish right? people? Even yes, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> you said Jewish people. I meant the no, Christians, yes, the, the people the of the way. Right. Okay, right. Okay, so he's writing to the Christian people. Who was it that was benefiting primarily from slavery in, in Roman society? That would be the Romans. Okay. So he's saying to those believers, you need to still respect the unbelievers who have authority over you under the system. Okay. Right? Okay. Here's a, here's a situation that occurs in the Bible. This proves that God has covered every base. Philemon. Paul writes a a letter to Philemon about Onesimus. Okay? Here's the interesting thing about Philemon and Onesimus. Philemon is someone that becomes converted to Christianity. And he has a slave. Mm-hmm. This slave is not a Christian, and this slave runs away. And in running away, the slave ends up where Paul is. 
And as Paul ministers to this slave and converts him, he realizes that this slave belonged to someone that he knows. Paul knew Philemon personally had been involved in his conversion and, uh, and even his baptism. I don't know that he baptized him directly, but he was involved with him. So what Paul does, because even though the society allowed, even though both Paul and Peter talk about what you should do in the society and how you as the Christian should respect the authority that's there, even though it's not the best, what he, what, what Paul does is he writes to Philemon, that's what the epistle to Philemon is about, he writes to Philemon, he tells Onesimus, you need to go back to your master. You, you have to go back. That's the way the society works, and you need to go back. But I'm going to do something here. Paul writes to Philemon, and he says to Philemon, can you do me this favor on my behalf? Like, I'm not ordering you as a minister of the gospel, not ordering you as an apostle. I'm asking you as a, as a co-believer, as a friend. Whatever Onesimus has done in leaving, whether he stole stuff from you before he left, whatever the case is, credit it to my account. I'll bear the brunt for that. But can you receive him as a brother in Christ? Mm. So Paul, while recognizing on one hand the social authority, on the other hand, he applies the overlay of the gospel. And in so doing, he makes, he applies the gospel in a practical way to the situation at hand. Because he says to the slave, you need to go back in that system. But then he says to the slave master, you need to look at this guy as a brother. For my sake, please. Right. Right? And so the thing, and the reason I bring that up, the reason why that's so important is in this country, United States of America, in this country, the people that were perpetuating the evil of slavery were the people that were Philemon. Right. And they were exposing the slaves to the gospel for the purpose of anchoring their slavery. They were not exposed, they were not exposing it to them so that they could become brothers. Because they didn't observe the rest of the Bible. They didn't observe Jubilee. They didn't observe um, uh, the Sabbath. These weren't things that they... Thank you. Uh, so they just picked and chose what they wanted. They cherry-picked. Yes, so that they can keep the people they subjugated. So they actually did a disservice Correct. to the Bible, even though they created great Christians. That It's not to say what they did was right. No, what they did was, was absolutely wrong. And even though good came from it, no. Okay, because a lot of evil came from it. Plenty, plenty evil came from it that's not, that hasn't been undone. Mm. Right? It has perpetuated massive evil. So what we see, so when you look at that, you have two different things that went on. This is what I'm talking about, the context. The context of Paul and Peter presenting this Christian behavior to Christians is saying, hey, when you're in a, when you are 
on the top of that, you need to behave in a way like Christ. When you're in the bottom of that, you need to endure like Christ. Okay? They did not allow those with the authority to subjugate anyone. Mm-hmm. They didn't say, hey, those are the rules, so whatever you want to do to your slave is your business. They did not do that. They actually said, you need to act Christian to them. And then they said to the ones below, you may, you may have a master that's not cool. You may have a master that's not nice. Endure for the gospel's sake. Mm. But when Paul had an opportunity to, to manage both sides of the equation at the same time, he gave each person Christian guidance. You need to follow this side of the instruction. You need to follow this side of the instruction. Right. So that clarity is important. So anyone who comes and takes a piece of the Bible and and just says, this is how it works, they are resting the, the scriptures to their own destruction and the destruction of everyone in their path. Right. Okay. I mean, that's, I think that's important to know, especially as you said, in the mouth of two and three witnesses, especially when you put it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because when we go back to Romans 13, and mm-hmm. you do read that you're supposed to, if the person in charge of you is doing evil, you don't have to follow mm-hmm. it. So if they had tried to use that as part of their text, they would know that those they kept subjugated this in slavery would not mm-hmm. have to follow their orders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. And look how Peter clarifies it in the, in the next, you know, again, Peter speaking to believers. And, we, and he transitions into a comparison to Christ. But look at the Look at um, verse 20. 19. Uh, did you do 19? Yes, I did 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards mm-hmm. God endure grief, suffering wrongly. Verse 20. For what glory is it if when ye be buffered for your faults, ye t- shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently. This is acceptable with God. Interesting. And then, and then the 20, 21 and 22, I mean, we don't, 21 through 24 is a single sentence. Okay. Right? Okay. But he's explaining why. He said, he's saying here in verse 20, he says, hey, what's the big deal if when you do wrong, people berate you and you, and you stay quiet? Okay, <laughs> whatever. But if you're doing right, and you end up suffering on account of it, and you endure patiently, that is noble. Mm. And then he says, we're called because Christ also suffered for us. So you see how he transitions it into following Christ's path. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the key. Once you, re- once you refer everything back to Christ you get a better understanding of what it is that you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, it's, this is the same kind of discussion as, um, as husband love your wives, 
wives obey your husband. People always harp on wives obey your husband. It's like, dude, it started with husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If you can't do that, then don't worry about the second half. <laughs> because it's both of the parts that work together that make the whole situation effective. Right. That is true. All right. So is that your final words? Um, I'll, I'll take this opportunity to reiterate. You have to look at the Bible holistically. You can't just snatch a passage, a chapter, a, a quote, a paragraph. You can't just take those and isolate them. We do in the mouth of two or three witnesses, but in this particular case, we have two precepts and one example. And what's interesting is that the Romans 13, 1 through 7, and 1 Peter 2, starting at verse 13, when you get when you take that up to verse 17, they both basically cover the same thing. But when you go from verse 18, servants, um, be subject to your masters with all fear, Paul doesn't cover that one as directly, but he covers it in the experience. So th the precept, he didn't mention it as much, but in the example, he does cover it. So you still have two precepts and then part of, of, um, Peter's own is a precept for the slavery issue, and Paul's example practice is um, covers the slavery issue. And so, when you put those together, you have sufficient basis for doctrine in both directions, with the understanding that we are going to have to give, we're going to have to give an account for how we've treated people. So, if we think that we can use these passages to mistreat people, then we will be on the wrong end of Matthew 25. All right. So, let's go ahead and close out with prayer then. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your counsel. We thank you that you provide for us this wisdom on touchy topics as well as the plain and blunt topics. We ask you to help us to understand how we ought to behave, always with an eye towards rightly representing you. Help us that we will be good and kind to everyone, whether they are above us or below us as society deems these things, but always that we will uh, pay attention to the things that you want and that we will follow in your footsteps, that we will never go against what you've asked us to do directly and that we will not be in friction with people when they are not trying to make us go against your will. Please forgive us of our sins and be with everyone who listens to this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we thank you for listening. And uh, we are always available for conversation. You can reach out to us at truewisdom underscore pod on Twitter. You can also reach us by email. TrueWisdom at spaceage-llc.com. And Andrew mentioned his podcast where they get even more in-depth called Rightly Divide the Word. And it can be found on what platforms? On all the same platforms. We're talking um, Spotify, Pandora, 
um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. Excellent. Uh, we thank you for listening, and we pray you will be blessed.